0: Today, greetings, hello, it's Art at the End of the World, the podcast that features artists, entertainers, and cultural leaders speaking about what it is to make art here at the end. And welcome, my name is Mark Wigmore. Time for another edition of Remix, and if you aren't that familiar with this podcast, uh, particular series within the podcast. This is uh, something we do every Thursday and we take episodes from the first season and repackage them. and added some bonus material and put it all together for you right here on the zoomer podcast network. Years and years ago, I used to work at a radio station called proud FM. It was one of the great uh, radio experiences of my life, LGBTQ focused radio. And when it launched way back in 2007, There was a lot of high hopes for what it would do culturally in this city and all around the world. I'm not sure it was able to completely do that, but it was a great cast of talent that I got to work with there. And one of those people is on the program today, Matt Cassano, a.k.a. heroine, drag performer. Matt was part of that tapestry of people and personalities that I was able to meet there and uh, very, like I say, very rewarding experience. And we're going to get to uh, Matt in just a moment. And interestingly, uh, you may have seen it, RuPaul just hosted Saturday Night Live. And I think that was a bit of a, a benchmark or a cultural touchstone, if you will. I, I think uh, there was a lot of excitement around Rue hosting. But uh, Rue is a sort of a duplicitous character within the drag world at this point, And we'll get to that with Matt in a few moments as well. So very much in the zeitgeist right now. A reminder that Art at the End of the World brought to you by Crow's Theatre, one of the country's most acclaimed arts organizations and based in Toronto's vibrant East End community. Crows creates unforgettable theater that examines and illuminates the pivotal narratives of our times. And what a great uh, winter and spring season it's been there. CrowsTheater.com for info and tickets. We are also sponsored by Red Eye Media, an innovator in arts, communications, and media relations for over 15 years. Red Eye Media works with leading film, television, and performing arts organizations to build their audience and their impact through engaged passionate, and strategic communications. Those organizations include the Canadian Stage, Crow's Theatre, the Musical Stage Company, Pacific Northwest Pictures, SummerWorks Performance Festival, and the Toronto Dance Theatre. For more information on the power of Red Eye, visit redeyemedia.ca. So, heroin... She's been at it for a long time, hilarious, inventive, very thoughtful drag performer. The commitment, the level of artistry and entertainment that goes into her shows. Drag queen, drag performer, and she's been performing for more than a decade. And Matt and I met way back in 2008, I want to say, when that's about a year into working at Proud FM. He took a gig, I'm trying to remember exactly, Uh, he was uh, helping to produce and helping with sales and helping with different elements behind the scenes. Eventually he would be heard on air as well, and it was right around that time that I knew he was getting involved with the the drag community, and we were going to see drag shows in that area and just enjoying uh, what Church and Wells had to offer at that time. And I, I would argue, I guess, that it's probably better here 13 years later. But I remember going to see uh, a couple different drag shows and heroin then known as heroin marks. (laughs) So that was a bit of a humorous moniker, uh, just outrageous and hilarious and very talented and very committed to her craft. And over the years, I would see that the performances would get bigger and the clubs were, you know, picking her up to perform at different, uh, better time slots, better spaces, a lot of theme shows, a lot of uh, great posters and artwork all involved. So when I had the opportunity and I I reached out to Matt, I said, gosh, it'd be nice to kind of catch up and talk about your career and what it is to be a drag performer in the modern age. And maybe a little bit about the music and drag anthems and RuPaul. I was so thrilled that uh, Matt said yes. And she's currently over at Second City, I believe, still there. And in fact, that's where we uh, met to do this interview. So you might hear a little ambient noise in the background. We recorded this at the training center. And I think it should be noted that uh, for all the joy and love and sassiness and crassness and hilarity that's involved with what, heroin has been able to do with what Matt's been able to do, Uh, there's been an element of difficulty and sometimes downright frightening with what has gone on and what uh, Matt has had to deal with so we'll get into that as well I couldn't be more thrilled from downtown Toronto, here's my talk with drag performer, heroin Second City Training Center full of children right now by the way, Mac, Sano, but, but on Facebook I see
1: Matteo. Yes. Is that the correct? Uh, Matteo is just the Italian way right. of spelling and saying Matthew, and I think it's exotic. What, what do
0: you get What do you get from, uh, like, do people mix it up, or do you...
1: Oh, I get, like, Matteo, and I'm like, I'm not a cereal, like, uh, just Matteo, like, <laughs> Matteo's. But friends call you... Uh... <laughs> I mean, my closest friends usually just call me heroin now, so that's like there's that but most great. people just call me matt or mateo right um actually when i started working here i, I had people be like what's your name is it matt and i was like yeah and they're like oh, someone said mateo and i was like yeah it's mateo too so more or less the conversation we just had yeah pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like and then everyone's like which do you prefer i was like just call me whatever and just right. don't call me late to dinner that's right all. that's
0: true and i i always called you uh matt because that's a long time Yes. Since you and I have seen each other, we worked together at uh, 1039 Proud FM in Toronto, Church and Wells. Yes. And you came in,
1: what was your gig? I was hired in the elevator. (laughs)
0: That there? <laughs> I heard a few things happen in the elevator there.
1: Oh, really? Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> Come on. Um, you did it. Um, <laughs> but you can imagine. Oh, I can imagine, especially where we were set up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I. Uh, Just I, a I young, was, young kid. Yeah, I was. I think it was. Finding tw- your way. 19 at the time. I was working for a fab magazine and I had to do an interview uh, where I had to interview some of the um, on air personalities for an, an article. And uh I was in journalism school at Ryerson okay. and then I got on the elevator and this woman got on and she was like how are you and i was like good how are you and i told her what i was doing she's like oh and i was like yeah i kind of want to intern or do something here i think it'd be fun and she was like well i'm the ceo so uh here's my number and let's chat and uh she's like yeah i'll bring you on board and then i became a copywriter and then they had me in sales for a while which was very odd i
0: remember you sort of jumping around
1: yeah it was very much just like put him wherever he'll He'll figure it out Yeah Kind of thing And you
0: know For being such a young person You were very uh, It seemed to me You were quite confident Maybe that was just you On the outside But Oh Well no I think I've always I
1: give off A confident uh, Yeah That's what I'm telling you Yeah I, I, image, I, That's what but. I was getting <laughs> But sometimes I can, like, not feel confident whatsoever. Like, How were you feeling in those days, though? Like, were you, were you just like, okay... I was I'm, full of pep. I was ready to go. I was, like, excited, and it was all new and exciting, and it was an adventure. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was saw a lot of changes
0: there, that's for I was, sure. I was there for three years. I mean, it, it stands, as far as my radio
1: career is concerned, as maybe the most fun I ever had. It was, it definitely, it was definitely fun. There was a lot of... Uh, like Lady Gaga before she was famous Remember showed up to Pride film through, yeah <laughs> which was huge yeah. and we had so many people like that like icons
0: of the LGBT community you know we'd have the golden girls you know whoever was left yeah, from the golden girls uh <laughs> were would be on or you know some of the big dance queens from the uh, disco era yeah. and that sort of thing so yeah it was it was very interesting to see uh see the uh, revolving door <laughs> so i leave in 2010 2010 and it's a big explosion mm-hmm. and i'm trying to replace what was going on for you at that point because it was all of us on air staff and then and then what happens
1: yeah i i don't i forget when i left actually to be completely
0: honest was it was it around that time or did you stick stick in a little longer i
1: don't know I, don't... I think it was actually before then yeah it might have been yeah because I, I believe I was only there like a year and a half, and right. then they started doing cuts. Because uh, I was still with Fab, I started doing drag while I was at Pride FM. I like, remember that. that was like that. That actually, the idea of me doing drag started in the Pride FM studio because Deb was hosting Deb Pierce. She was hosting a, um, a Halloween costume contest in 2007 on Maitland, and I said, "I'm like, oh, maybe I'll dress up as you." And she was like, oh, that'd be hilarious, blah, blah, blah. And then so that was the whole plan. And then I vaguely it kind of took this. off to yeah. something else. And then I was like, I'm going to dress as Marilyn Monroe and have a giant merkin with like crabs on it and call myself the 7 year Itch." And it just became this ridiculous concept. And that's, yeah. I remember
0: right away I learned something about your sense of humor in that moment. Because you had been fairly... I wouldn't say reserve, but you were somebody. You were working hard. You were trying to find your way in the radio business. Yeah, uh, you were working for, like you say, Fab and and a couple different uh, organizations. But then I remember that yeah. Marilyn Monroe with Crabs. <laughs> was it crawling on the dress or or?
1: Uh, they were just underneath the dress so that when they were kind
0: of creeping out yeah so that
1: when the white skirt went up like in the seven-year Itch, it would just be like oh that's the seven-year Itch." right (laughs) so
0: so there was so right away we're learning that the there's this um tongue-in-cheek a little bit of crassness a little bit of cheekiness very camp ready to go
1: yeah just all in pre-installed yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like I always say, my drag persona actually developed in high school as my defense mechanism for bullies. Yeah. You know, like I took a lot of, I took a lot of like Karen Walker. I was obsessed with Willing Grayson in high school. I used to watch it with my mom. And like that sass, that confidence, mm-hmm. I took a lot of that on to deal with the bullies that... Would harass me. So uh, I feel like that's where my drag persona actually really started. Okay, so let, let's get there. Uh, born in Toronto or? I was born in Hamilton. Okay,
0: yes. Hammer. And, and how long does that
1: last? Uh, I left at 17. Okay. Yeah. My so, guidance counselor considers me a success story because I made it past Mississauga. So suddenly. <laughs>
0: crawling, uh, 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 just working your way around Lake Ontario.
1: <laughs> pretty much. Finding pretty yourself here. So that would explain some of the bullying, I would imagine. Hamilton? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Yes. I I was an Italian in the closet in a Roman Catholic high school, yeah, uh, surrounded by a bunch of people who were very heteronormative and just did not know how to take me i wasn't out right. but i also wasn't really hiding if no that makes sense so yeah right so you may have
0: presented as yeah like as people such. might have been like
1: hmm questioning what his what he's up to <laughs> so what what's the family situation uh siblings both parents around? uh i have a younger sister okay. um my parents never divorced but my dad did pass away okay um when was that He passed away in two thousand and nine. Okay, Thanksgiving weekend two thousand and nine. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah, I just like that's my family unit. I we don't really talk to other members of my family because they've just they haven't been the best of people to my mother uh, or my father, and uh, we just we were just a four person unit and just very supportive and caring. They they were pretty supportive of you growing up. Oh yeah, like when I came out, like totally fine no issues like my dad before he passed would come to my drag shows you know so like it was a very uh it was very loving loving small but loving family unit. so sort of this insular group of four so a bit of baggage yeah it was was interesting but nothing
0: really to do with uh in in the sense of you know your own personal journey
1: and coming out and all that sort of thing
0: just sort of sort of
1: yeah family (laughs) dynamics we have them Well, I I was accepted into Ryerson, so I moved to Toronto when I was 17. Uh, I was turning 18 that October, but I I knew as soon as I moved to Toronto, things were going to be different. Like, Hamilton felt like a jail to me. Right. Um, And I knew once I moved to Toronto, I would definitely... And I hate when people say, oh, I found myself, but like... I, I just found an environment to be myself. It was funny, when I walked into my dorm room for the first time, I opened the windows, and the first thing I saw were the two gay cowboys on the barn. Because, <laughs> like, my dorm room literally looked out onto church trees. Right. So I felt like Dorothy looking at the yellow brick road. I was right. like, oh, here it is. My people. Finally. <laughs> it's So, when I think about that, that's,
0: I guess, early 2000s when you're in high school. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Mid- I, I believe 2005 right. is when I...
1: is when I left
0: because we think of ourselves as a progressive city and a progressive society here in Ontario and Canada but you're still very much witnessing the changing of culture and of course it's still changing today but you're gay marriage had just been legal for a few years by that point right Right, so Not your very long. your middle school, high school experience was kind of typical of oh
1: yeah somebody in your position just dealing with the bullying and, and with the 98, 1998 sex ed curriculum still oh, right. <laughs> this is a like cucumber this is a condom
0: right. this is what you do they didn't even get, I didn't even get anywhere near that far <laughs> in my own, like I'm a you know eighties nineties there was nothing you know it's just like okay you be
1: careful you yeah know, there's a bit of that you're gonna get syphilis and die. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? When do you come out? Uh, I came out uh, my second year of university. Okay. Um, so I was I had just turned 19. I was able to go to bars, and uh, I made friends with other queer people, and uh, I just was like, okay, now's the time. So I came out to my mom first. Well, I came out to my sister first, and her first reaction was, Oh, you can tell mom and dad. I was like, I'm pretty sure they already know. <laughs> and she was just like, she's like, I just don't want to fight. I just don't want to fight. And I was like, don't, don't hand me this luggage and yeah. leave me to walk home, you know, with it. Yeah. And then, uh, I was like, I'm like, okay, relax. Um, and then, uh, I think about two weeks later, my mom came to Toronto and we actually watched an episode of Will and Grace because she and I used to always watch Will and Grace together Thursday nights. i was like mom i have something to tell you and she was like is it that you're like will and i said well more karen but yeah pretty much
0: (laughs) and that's how it it. came
1: out to her were you at all pleased when they decided to bring it back oh god yeah 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 good times well, it was it was needed for the time. Like Trump was in office, then it's like, no, oh, we need to make America gay again. You right. know? Yeah. So let's do this. And let's flip and, the MAGA. And on
0: network, not on
1: cable. Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's get to the people here. Yeah. <laughs> sort of felt that way weirdly about that way about uh uh Roseanne too. Like not in the sense that it's you know, obviously Roseanne turned out to be a disaster. Well, yeah. But I think a lot of the messaging of that show regardless of her presence has been kind of important to the conversation, which is fascinating to watch. Well, it's interesting Uh, to know
1: that, like, Wanda Sykes and, like, Whitney Cummings were, like, behind-the-scenes writing, too. Right. You could tell they were, like, definitely writing for Aunt Jackie on that show. Roseanne was writing her. Now they're all writing for Aunt Jackie. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) That should have just been
0: the spinoff. I forgot the Connors. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) So, you you alluded to it a little bit, but there we are in Proud FM, and uh, you get this idea for Halloween Costume Deb Pierce, yes. and you go with the Marilyn Monroe. I'm sure I remember seeing you in this this outfit actually. Oh yeah, and so I've t- done it for some throwback Thursdays, right? <laughs> and so tell me about uh, your original. I mean, what gave you the the confidence to even go that far and think, oh, I think I can, I can pull this off.
1: Uh, some friends and I from uh, school actually went to a bar yeah. one night on Church Street. And I walked in it and I saw this drag queen wearing like cow print and really bad makeup and a really weird crusty wig. And her real hair was coming through like in the front. And I was just like, oh, my God. And she was kind of drunk. Yeah. I was just like, what a mess. And I was just like, I can do better than this.
0: (laughs) Okay, so it wasn't like I kind of love that you know, tragedy that I'm looking at. It's more that I, I can
1: exceed Yeah, that. I can, I can I do can better than do that. this and I can actually like entertain. Yeah. Cause like I've, I've always like, I've always been told I'm funny and, uh, you are, you're <laughs> hilarious. I think. <laughs> Thank you. And I just like, I was like, I, I don't think I've ever felt as confident as a man. I thought, okay, drag can be maybe a vehicle to do that. And like just now, 12 years later, I'm like, becoming that comedian i want to be in drag and it's actually helped me with my confidence as a man uh-huh. s- somehow doing drag so funny how that works yeah because <laughs> i mean anyone who can get on stage dressed up wearing all this makeup being uncomfortable first of all in everything you have to wear and still trying to make people laugh and entertain like it takes a lot of guts to get up there and do that and it does to, be judged by a room full of people you might not even know who might not know you and it's just based on like their first interaction with you what they could perceive of you
0: so. there's so many elements too i mean you think about you're talking about being funny i think you do need often you need to be funny some yeah. people don't go totally down that road but that's a big part of it for a lot of performers but then on beyond that you you
1: Usually need to have some sort of musical theater, <laughs> you
0: know, skills or music skills. And that's some the kind. thing;
1: I've never had any sort of background training in. Right. It. Like everything I have done has been just improvised and guessing. Right. I like to call it. Right. I'm just like I'm guessing when I go out there. I'm like, oh, some jazz hands, a little, little spin here. Let's just make this up. <laughs> I've like, told oh, this story a few times. I actually
0: uh, came here about two or three years ago to the Second City Training Center and I took stand-up which some people think is a preposterous idea because you should just have it in your bones but I felt like I needed to be around people to work on my writing and so on so I did and uh, the big finale of that was to stand in front of a crowd of Two hundred people in a you know dark club, something yeah. that you do all the time, and go be funny and and just have the spotlight on just you and entertain. And I will say, in all my years of radio, to the millions of people I've spoken with or, or spoken to over the broadcast airwaves, uh, that was the most terrifying moment. Oh yeah, in my in my life, in my show business life, it was really really difficult. And, yeah, and I I have such admiration that you get up there and do that sometimes two or three times a week i mean it's incredible
1: yeah like i've performed for almost 12 years and yeah. just uh last year i took my first stand-up class here at the train. oh center. you did okay um you and me both yeah and i was like oh this is very different because a lot of times I would go out and wing it and I just learned with stand-up it's like oh no there's like a method to things that people don't realize right and yes for some people candy. it's a lot more natural yeah right um and I, I feel like the class just actually helped accentuate what I already had right and just hone it in a bit and but yeah I was very nervous doing that show I like people were like oh why are you gonna be nervous you've been on stage for how long and I'm like because this is kind of Different, it is a little different. It's like it's not me being like, go to the bar, grab a drink, <laughs> you a bottom, are you two together? You know, like it's like, oh, I have to like <laughs> less crowd work, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're, they're actually going to be listening <laughs> I have to... and hearing what I have to say, yeah, yeah. Um, not background noise. What did you, you have to do that at Absolute? That's where we did ours. I don't know. Uh, no, we did in the JCB here, okay, very yeah. good. So that's all right, yeah. it was good it was a packed house but it was I did it in drag obviously because I'm only going to be doing comedy in drag I was going to ask if that's what you decided yeah and I I had to open the show because I had a gig that night so I had to be the first one up okay from my class and uh, there was a lot of people who brought their parents and I was like oh they're not ready for this no (laughs) <laughs> they no. are not ready for that. No, I, I.
0: And I love you being first. Oh, I know. That was <laughs> Just the best setting one. the tone. <laughs> it's going to get easier after this. Uh, so tell me about uh, picking heroin marks. It was pretty early, and it's a character
1: that you're, I guess, character. I don't know if that's the. Yeah, well, the marks has been dropped. Okay. So it's just heroin. It's just heroin. Because um, <laughs> originally I started as just More heroin. accessible. Yeah. <laughs> I started just as heroin, and uh, it was just the idea was the name was to embody all the female strong female leads that have influenced me growing up and like um i was like okay well this will encompass all because then some people will like do a play on a celebrity's name already or take a last name from um a pop diva um but i was like no i'm just gonna encompass them by calling myself something that you wouldn't normally hear right (laughs) right um so uh, and then people were like, "Well, you need a last name. You need a last name." And I was like, "Well, I don't know what can go with heroin." And then uh, and then Marx was added, and then people were like, "Oh, is she a drug addict? What is happening?" And I was like, "And I always say, I'm like, I wouldn't have this figure if I was a drug addict. Right? Like, I'd be a lot smaller." <laughs> right.
0: um, I remember thinking it was a bold choice.
1: It was. At the time. I yeah. felt like,
0: okay, we're just going
1: down that yeah. road right away. Yeah, it was. It was meant to just be like. So when you hear it, you're like, okay, this is going this is not to be taken seriously. This is supposed right. to be funny. This is not like a glam pageant, like, oh, I'm Devereux the Third, like sure. blah blah blah, all that stuff sure. that some of these pageant queens do. And uh, as time went on, I like I, I just started hating the marks and I was like, No, I just I'll be like share right. I'll just go one name. Um, because I do wanna expand past Church Street and when I've done TV things, I can't use my last name, right. my stage last name. So right. I was like, I'm just going to be heroin. I think that might With have been e. a, I, I mean,
0: I, 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 mean, of course I loved it at the time because it was so in your face and yeah. it was so provocative, but I think it's just maybe it just going from a business well. perspective, it yeah. seems like a smart move. Yeah. <laughs> um, Obviously, you take all these idols and these these uh, women, these strong women, you talk about that, and you pack them all into this mm-hmm. persona um try to try to yeah. the one thing I remember and and I don't know if that's this has remained, but seeing you in some of the, you know, early Zelda's drag competitions and so on. Mm-hmm. It was pretty, you were pushing a lot of boundaries. Like you were going for it. And uh, there what were, sense? Well, just, it seemed there was a group of people that when the spotlight was on in that situation and there was this sort of sense of competition that people, it was almost like, how how far can I push this to make, to push people's comfort levels? Oh to, yeah. You know, be outrageous tell me about that part of it for you
1: and has that changed starting out like you the thing is when you're starting drag you really want to make a name for yourself and Uh you really want to stand out and be memorable um so yeah i did do some it wasn't like Always pushing the envelope. Like I did an Octomom thing as Joan Crawford, and I uh-huh. had like thirty-two babies just flying out of me out of I, a tank. I might kind of remember that one. Yeah. yeah. And then I did like a uh, cracked-out Snow White, Sue so, like does this like happy song from Enchanted, but I kill all the animals as I go along. So this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like, I don't know, you know, now that you present it, yeah. uh, how did we even really need to search? I mean, (laughs) it it was all right there. But I remember going, oh my goodness, you know, being in the audience and thinking to myself, boy, not everybody could get away with this in a comedic setting, but Mm -hmm. for some reason, all these drag queens can. And what is the license that happens there?
1: And what is the motivation to even want to do it? Well, for me, it's always parody. Yeah. You know, it's satire, it's parody, and that's where um, it comes from. And then it develops and it can get a little twisted. But uh, I, I think... It's very creative. It can y- be very Yeah, creative. it can be. It can be a very interesting creative process coming up with things. Have you ever seen someone go too far? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've seen uh, some people change their, their uh, skin. Uh, right.
0: uh, color That old routine.
1: Yeah. Their skin tone and uh, it's, yeah. That's off limits. Oh, that should always be off limits because yeah. I don't think anyone should be presenting.
0: But that would be under that umbrella a little bit as far as, you know, I'm going to push the boundaries, but maybe I will give it enough context so that it
1: could just be, you know, just go under the wire. Mm. But uh, there's some people I look back on and things that they've done and I'm just like, this is uncomfortable. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, uh, there's probably elements of, uh, I mean,
0: even your show that might've been uncomfortable for people, but it seems like that seems to be part of the, I want to do something here. I want to make a a splash and I want to, you know, so there's that, but what about from the more profound and emotionally, you know mature perspective when when you're trying to do something that's maybe really beautiful or Mm -hmm. has something to say i mean do do you think about it from that perspective as well no i always go
1: for the laugh (laughs) like i for me personally watching a drag show like i want to laugh i want to be entertained right uh, I don't you do occasionally
0: see a drag show though where it does work with that, like it's a very beautiful, you know, rendition, even if it's a lip sync
1: of a song that's very beloved, or yeah, yeah, like that. That's fine, but like when people, like I've seen people perform and they dedicate it to family members who have passed, right. and Things like that. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like I myself wouldn't do that. Like right. I was dealing with my dad's passing and him going through all that, but I never. Did a, a performance on stage. I like. I just tried to find the funny and keep going, and I never wanted to force upon people to give me all this sympathy. You know, like right. uh, I just my goal when I'm on stage is to make people laugh. I'm not there to gain sympathy or. Was it cathartic for you while you were going through? Uh, it was your dad's passing. I mean, uh, it I, was I, tough because like he was coming every week and he was there when I won finally. And uh, they were usually, because the, the night that uh, Drag, Ra- Drag Idol happened was uh, Tuesdays, and he was going through chemo Tuesday morning. So they would literally, he would go to his chemo, then him and my mom would come to Toronto, and then they would watch the show and then go home. So like, it became, every week it was me trying to top myself to make him laugh. Right. So it was, that was the goal always, to make him laugh. Uh, and if I made other people laugh, then great. Um, so was, that,
0: was that the dyma- dynamic growing up? Like a lot of
1: laughter around the dinner table and that sort of thing? Were yeah. you trying to make your dad laugh your whole life? or uh, I wouldn't say my whole life. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely tried to like entertain. Right. I used to like put on little shows in the backyard for family. And I'm pretty sure that's when they were all like, hmm, really? Oh, like, mm, God. Is this is a really good magic show. Yeah. <laughs> watch my heterosexuality disappear <laughs> um, nice riff yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh, so I feel like when he passed uh, I kind of like lost that for a bit because like, I was like oh my goal was to make him laugh what's my goal now kind of thing right and then you won yes that was yeah. nice yeah, it was some nice money. Yeah, nice money. <laughs>
0: that,
1: that's the part we remember. <laughs> well, I just paid for everything I put into it. That's yeah, the only right. thing. I, I I don't even think I broke even doing that. Concept. That's something else I've noticed. There seems to be a lot
0: of sewing going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, uh, looking for you know elements to put
1: in the show. A lot of you know. There's a lot of shopping that happens. Yeah. Well, I I've definitely noticed like now that I'm twelve years into this, like my style and aesthetic has definitely developed and changed and evolved and now i look for like before i used to be like oh that looks cute that looks cute that looks great but now i'm just like no this is going to be a a piece Mm -hmm. you know like it's an investment so you get something you pay whatever you have to for the fabric for the design embellish it um accessorize it like I, i treat them now as like Little images, right, of myself. Like, okay, well, this one is for when I'm doing this kind of music, or this is for when I'm doing this comedy mix, and like, you have to treat it that way. I just can't go on stage wearing something that looks pedestrian now. Like before, I used to no problem. Like I'm like, oh, I got this at Winners. Oh, it looks cute. Right now, I'm like, no, I don't want to wear something on stage that someone could walk into the bar wearing. You know, and uh, that's definitely where my mind has evolved now, and it's just more trying to be. A Joan Rivers in drag, kind of like that over-the-top comedy voice that's ridiculous and just really glammed up with big Italian hair. (laughs) Right, and
0: and, and it must have been at the beginning very, you know, it's fun. It's fun to -hmm. to dress up and it's fun to imagine ideas and all the rest of it, but it sounds like now it's actually a real
1: point of pride. It, now it's just like this is my image this is my brand yeah this is my business uh-huh. that's how i see it now before it was just it was like a little side hobby that i was developing that became really profitable for me and now i'm just treated as okay this is a persona this is a character this is something i've developed that i want to take into different avenues
0: You've very much become a performer. This is—I mean—you started out in the in the radio business and going to Ryerson and all that. But yeah. the show business life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you work. You're here at the Second City. Yes, you're on stage a lot. Yes, yeah. it's, it's 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 fun. Like I definitely realized that I needed to try different things because I didn't want to be pigeonholed into just the stages on Church Street. Yeah, and like I've had experiences where I've gotten to travel. And I've gotten to experience bigger stages than what Church Street has, and I was just like, I want more of this, and I want to like, I want to bring this, but bring it out, and outside of the village, outside of spaces that normally aren't queer or have seen queer representation. So I just want to really expand. I feel like we're in a good time for that. Oh, for sure.
0: What do you? taking from the, the modern interest in drag because uh you know everybody sees now reality T V RuPaul is sort of mm. peak RuPaul <laughs> yeah. at this moment. I think it's jump the shark personally. You do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've got drag race, we've got the tours, um, Yeah. we've got the spin offs. Well it, it seems
1: now like if It seems more popular than ever, so it's hard to oh for sure argue with that yeah. Reality.
0: Like,
1: I will say the the pro. Um, has been that now it seems like it's very fashionable to have a drag queen at an event, mm-hmm. um, so there's more opportunities for like local Toronto girls to get booked for certain things. Like I've been driven two hours out of the city just to do a bachelorette party. I've done like fundraisers. I've done like I get contacted for certain things, and right. it's because they they want a drag queen there to like make it fun. But then there's also a lot of cons with it because these Rue girls come into town and they get paid thousands of dollars and the local Queens who get booked to open for them, get nickels in comparison. Right. You have people who are willing to pay $35 and up for a ticket to see a Rue girl plus additionally for a meet and greet. And then they go up and usually tip them a five, 10 or 20, but then they don't come to a local drag show that has no cover and like, just don't support the scene here. So it's, it's become, I'm not a fan of drag, it's I'm a fan of drag race. And then actual like people see what's on TV and they're like, that's drag, but it's not real drag. Like it's drag to an extent, but Mm -hmm. it's also very manufactured. Like they are told in advance, okay, this is gonna be the category, so then they have these costume designers make things and then they bring it. It's not, oh, we're in the workroom now. It's not doesn't have that DIY. Yeah, Yeah. It doesn't have that that's the thing with drag race now. It's become just it's a runway. Right. It's so you're not identifying with that group of people. No, i I identify the Rue Girls. The only one I really like enjoy is Bianca Del Rio because she's taken that exposure and she's become what she always was, a stand up comic with it. Right. Um, like I identify more with Bianca or Jackie Beats or Coco Peru or Varla G Merman, like the classical entertainers who are storytellers. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what that's where I'm with my drag, and I, that's what I want to accomplish with my drag. So I look to them. I don't look to these Instagram queens who can take a great photo and facetune it, but get on stage and have nothing to offer. Right, nothing to say. Yeah. Would you take the opportunity if it uh, knocked on your door? So a Toronto star actually uh, <laughs> interviewed me yesterday, and they said that they were like asking about the restrictions of drag race, and uh, if I, if the restrictions were gone, would I ever audition or? try to get on the show. So the restrictions now are US only or how the restrictions are... have always been US only. Right. Okay. Yeah, we have our first Canadian Queen that is gonna be on the show. Uh, but that's because she Dual was sponsored okay and work has worked in Nashville since I believe twenty fifteen. Made some inroads there. Yeah, yeah. so she's had her working visa and green card, all that stuff. But if they took the restrictions off and Canadians can apply, I'm not sure I would because I I I'm not a statuesque model like some of these girls and a campy clown with a side of glam and a heaping serving of sarcasm and wit you right. know and i'm not sure how well that would bode on the show they definitely cast for certain people for editing reasons and uh just the fandom it's created is it's, it's not it's a very toxic fandom queens get bashed constantly on social media because oh you you eliminated this queen or you did this. People take it way too seriously, not realizing all these people are getting paychecks at the end of the day. You can still be supportive and appreciate drag, but they just the stan culture that they've created on Twitter is just it's very toxic. And it's a bunch of like twelve year old girls or these like young gay boys who don't actually know what drag is and haven't done their research. Um, who think that they can dictate what drag is. If you don't look like a Rue girl, you're not doing drag correctly. That's the
0: story of pop culture, though, at the moment. I mean, really, anybody with light on them right now is facing that army.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: (laughs) Ready to go. But it is uh, sort of acute in the sense that when you look at, as you point out, the Rue girls and and, and drag race and everything that happens under the umbrella of that production Mm -hmm. team, I can imagine just how... How intense it becomes when people are being critical.
1: Yeah, it's it's just interesting when people who actually have never dressed up or done drag have all these opinions and feel that they know what drag is. Right, and that's that's where I, I I'm not sure I'd want to expose myself, my persona, my brand to that.
0: More in moments with Matt Cassano, a.k.a. Heroin, including her top five drag anthems. You're listening to Art at the End of the World on the Zoomer Podcast Network. Let's get back to Art at the End of the World, Heroin about to share her top five drag anthems. That's just in moments, but it's all fun and games until it isn't. And Matt isn't new to this profession, and so he's had to deal with some very difficult situations as a gay man, as a drag queen, and as someone who's very cognizant about gender and identity. And over the years, I've had a chance to read about some of the situations he's found himself in, and it is heartbreaking, it really is. And I don't know when things are going to change, When you think about how progressive a city like Toronto is, a pride event that's the envy of the world, a community, safe spaces, social services, and yet there's still prejudice and anger and hate and violence, and so it's difficult. There is a lot of unchecked emotional baggage in the world that uh, people like Matt sometimes have to deal with. So let's get back to it. It's heroin, drag performer on Art at the End of the World. A lot of changes in culture and, and i think for anybody who you know i was talking to karen robinson this week about you know as a black woman growing up in canada mm-hmm. from jamaica trying to make her way in the canadian acting scene you know you can imagine there were yeah. roadblocks and hurdles there and a specific experience for you both as mad and as heroine and particularly your drag life it feels like it's been very much a, a family situation like you always seem to have a at the beginning too there were a lot of mentors in your Mm -hmm. in your life and people that you look to and this was a
1: a group of people that you could kind of trust i I still have mentors yeah um maggie casella she's like a comedy mentor for me Mm -hmm. misconception is my drag mentor paul bellini has become like a writing mentor for me so there's these are all people who've been around for a while too yeah been there since um, way back Pretty much. Well, I mean, Paul and I just met recently, but we had written for you, Fab you, at the yeah. same time and stuff. Um, You'd seen seen Paul around, yeah. And yeah, he's yeah. been my he's actually been my writing teacher here at Second City. I feel like you never stop learning. Yeah, uh, you should always keep picking up tips and tricks, and because that's the only way you can excel. You just got to keep working the muscles. Was it also
0: a place that, with any personal issues or just? The experience of being a, a young man in the LGBT scene—that must have been nice to be able to have these mentors and people that you could just, oh so de- to speak yeah, definitely to about
1: for guidance. Uh, yeah. And i and I'm trying to do that now uh, with some others as well. Like I've taken on drag daughters before, and I have one right now. I'm just I'm looking out for them, and I'm just saying these are mistakes I made. Don't go down this road. Don't do. Learn to figure out this might not be the best idea. Are they listening? They are. Did you listen? Uh, I did, to an extent, but then there were other times where I was like, no, I just have a feeling that this will be great, and then it leads you uh, into a very toxic environment sometimes. Right. Right. Um, Just in terms of, like, I'm just trying to guide on, like, this is where you should try to get into work, and maybe don't try so hard here because they don't actually treat entertainers as well as this place. So you know? some show business. Yeah, just 101 there. Like pretty
0: much, in, pretty within, much. Within your world. Where does that toxicity come from? Where are the What are the traps
1: that people fall into? or what, what? Insecurities. Yeah. Uh, I feel like any toxic environment always stems from insecurities because people immediately get their backs up when someone can do something that they can't. Mm-hmm see that raw talent on stage and that's threatening. Yeah. yeah. Or you just see someone excelling doing something that you wish you could and then <laughs> right. there's like this insecurity that takes over. I mean, I've had moments of insecurity in my career, but I think I've now just reached a point where I'm like, I'm doing me. Uh-huh. And no one can do me. They're doing what they do. That's good for them. This works for me. This is what's helping pay bills. This is what's uh appealing to an audience like i'm good you good? do you right but i don't think like that just that took maturity after 12 years like you get that mindset but i i that's why i'm trying to like teach the young queens that are starting i'm just like just remember like you're still developing and it's interesting
0: (laughs) what one something that struck me over the years and i've kept my eye on your career and it's been amazing to watch you flourish and thrive and do everything you've done and and uh the shows keep getting booked and like you say the traveling and so on it's great but a couple times i can just think of two or three over the over the last decade where i've been reading something on facebook and and i'm seeing that there are moments in your career where you are facing very harrowing and difficult circumstances yeah i really make the heroin rhyme
1: right. work for me <laughs> right right
0: uh, i mean most recently you had a, a a really difficult episode i think with somebody in a club who wouldn't
1: leave and there was all sorts of oh that was the spinning incident yeah right? yeah from the death threats uh <laughs> yeah just that little one yeah that one uh yeah that was a few weeks ago that was just um this gentleman approached me outside and was trying to and you were in you were in i was in drag drag And he was trying to touch, and I kept saying, No, like, leave me alone. Um, And he was very persistent. And uh, he, like, went in, came back out again, and then, like, just tried to reach again. And I was just like, No. And I went back in and I told the bar manager. And this guy's friend was actually already being denied service, and they were being asked to leave, and they were refusing to leave. So uh, the manager went and called police, and then I was just sitting there and he just came up. And he just started threatening me and all these things. And I just sat there taking it. And my co-host was like in shock, like, what is happening? And all she could say on the mic was, like, call for the manager's name. She didn't know what to do. And I just sat there, and I stared at this guy just yelling at me. And I just said, all right, have a good night. After he threatened to kill me if I stepped outside... Me saying, all right, have a good night, that just triggered something, and he just, like, spit in my face. Right. Um, Yeah, so that was interesting. He was arrested that night, and as far as I know, he was still in custody because he has some priors. Uh Uh, No idea who he is. Don't even know his name. So when something like that
0: happens... I mean, it, it happens in mm-hmm. in various elements of show business, but I have to imagine it's a little bit heightened in that situation because you're realizing this is
1: coming from a place of he's a broken person mm-hmm. on some level. I think what bothered me the most was that it happened in a safe space, right? Like a queer safe space. Um, these things have happened before to people, whether it be on the street or like in the entertainment district, or just somewhere that isn't really queer. Like mm-hmm. there's obviously there's been so many incidences of homophobia and hate crimes and transphobia and for it to happen inside a queer space is, I think that's what threw me mm-hmm. because I'm like, this is supposed to be our safety net, you know, like this is supposed to be where it has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was like a light switch went off in this guy. Like first he's trying to make advances at me. And then all of a sudden it's just this rage I've heard of this light switch effect and that's why there are so many trans murders because of people like this, who this light switch goes off and it it was just, they're, they're
0: embarrassed for themselves because they haven't dealt with some of their
1: baggage. I don't, I honestly, I I can't speak. I'm not trans. I've never experienced what it is to be trans. Um, I, I consider myself more two spirited, right? I feel I have both male and female energy, uh-huh. um, and it's just a balance between them. Some might say like that's like non-binary. I, I, I don't know <laughs> what it is. I'm just me, and uh-huh. I will do whatever I feel comfortable with. Um, but it, it was definitely interesting to see that, like just his face, and that's that's all I am left with. I like everything else blurred out around him. It was just his eyes that I focused on and just seeing that aggression this is the aggression that so many people have seen that might not get to share their story now and that's what bothered me and it being in a safe space I was like this is, things need to change people need to wake up and realize that we need to do more, we need to protect more members of our community and that's what I said and when I wrote about it I was like please make sure you look out for our trans brothers and sisters more Mm -hmm. keep an eye out because i've seen what they can go through with people like that who just have this hate and aggression for someone just being who they are right yeah
0: it's such a time of huge correction
1: and change
0: we're celebrating the differences in profound ways and yet that is causing this sort of pushback Mm -hmm. in every element politically what have you i mean you pointed out you know Donald Trump earlier. I mean, yeah. I think we're living in a in a weird push pushback moment against a lot of the ideals that seem to be progressing and moving forward. I mean, you must, after twelve years of doing this and having experiences like that one, be seeing that incremental change, but also realizing there's a lot left to discuss as far as sex, sexuality, mm-hmm. identity, gender issues. You know, it's a big gumbo that's still being yeah. churned. <laughs> It's you know. a good way of putting it. I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love any
1: sort of food. Right? Um,
0: Does it feel like the needle's moving? Is it? Is it? Is it? A, do you feel like it's in, everything's in a better place now than it was maybe when you and I met in two thousand and eight?
1: Honestly, I'm not sure. No, because I've there have been advances, but there have been setbacks too. I mean, we are living in America Junior right now in Ontario, mm-hmm. like we have a premier you're feeling that oh yeah we have a premier who's who's just hurting people who are already hurting right it's upsetting because it makes you think like who voted for this guy right <laughs> kind of not toronto apparently no yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's what it's interesting too because there's so many people who outside of toronto get to dictate toronto but they don't actually experience toronto they don't right. live here they don't know what it's like to get around the city they don't know what it's like to deal with the ttc it's like the kids tweeting about rupaul's drag race exactly <laughs> they don't people really who know who have opinions and telling you oh you should do this you should do that but they've actually never done it themselves and yeah. that's the kind that's the culture we live in now where it's people have opinions who maybe shouldn't always express their opinions right the dem- and- the democracy of of information and the ability to express yourself has not yeah necessarily like, all led to positive change cool freedom of speech all for that yeah. but it's also like respect other people you know like just because you think some a certain way doesn't mean other people do so you you don't need to be the loudest voice in the room you need to people need to honestly stop for a second and listen to others because then a conversation can happen and maybe someone can learn something from what someone else is saying and maybe have a little fun along the way yeah right a new friend you never know (laughs) (laughs) a new friend you can debate with constantly
0: (laughs) tell me about some of your favorite nights as a performer maybe something you saw or something that you did that stands out Hmm. as, as a particularly strong showing of your craft
1: Yeah, like, I'm definitely, I'm excited where I'm headed with my drag. One one moment I will say that I really enjoyed was um, I did A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton, which has become such a campy, ridiculous throwback song. I performed it, and I was performing at a venue where you could actually see the street so I left the venue, so peop- and so the audience could still see me, and then I like hailed a cab, and as the <laughs> song was ending, it was like, you know, I'll walk a thousand miles, i get into the cab, and I said to the guy, I'm like, just drive a little bit, I'll give you five bucks, because someone had already tipped me, and so I had money in my in my, um, bra, and I right. was like, I'll give you five bucks, just take me there, I just need to make it look like I'm driving away. So then he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I get in as the song's ending and then close the door, and then he drives away as like, the piano is fading out. Oh my God. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, people were like, Did she leave her suitcases still here? Right. Like, did she go home? <laughs> did she have her keys? That is a great moment. Yeah, like that, like moments like that, that's what, that's Im- what I enjoy. Improvisational.
0: Oh, completely, and and it completely. all worked out timing yeah. wise. That's pretty great. Yeah, was there? You talked about uh, sometimes where occasionally you've seen somebody really impressing you,
1: and that's maybe rattled you a little bit. Where you that was like, of, like early, sure, early. Yeah, when that was mostly when I was really just trying to establish myself. And I think all new queens go through that, where they're just like, I need to be the best. I need to stand out. Right. So when someone else is doing something you can't do, you immediately are like. Why can't I do this? Right. You know, and I've had some conversations with um, queens who have been doing it just as long as I have, or a little less, and they've said that they're like, I used to like think to myself, why, why aren't I as glamorous as this one? Or why am I not as pretty as this one? Or why am I not as funny as you? You know, right. like, right. and they question things and then they realize, well, that's because I'm this. This is what I do. Uh-huh. That's what they do. That's what they do. That's what they do. And I'm, this is what I do. And I think it takes. Maturity and experience, and then you kind of you kind of find your groove and your niche. Who's your favorite drag queen right now? In the local scene, or just eh, it could be in, in in yeah maybe in the local scene, or and then beyond. uh Beyond, like I will always be a fan of Coco Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, that like she's just epitomizes what I love, um, and Bianca Del Rio. Like I I love that she gets to tour a comedy show and write it herself. Who should we be looking out for? Who's the up and comer? It's tough, right? That's going to put you in a spot. Well, <laughs> it's not only that, it's just there are drag races created this, what I like to call cosplay queens. Okay. Where it's uh, people who watch the show and are like, oh, look at all the fame they're getting. Right. Oh, I'm going to start doing drag. So then they don't do their research, they don't do their homework about what drag is, what it stands for, wh- what you can do with it. They just immediately go and buy stuff on amazon and then buy followers on instagram and they think oh i'm gonna be like a drag race queen and they walk around looking for this instant fame and they don't know what it is they offer like when i started i was like my goal is to make people laugh so now when a new queen comes up i'm like what's your goal in drag Mm -hmm. like what why did you start this right and when they say i really like drag race i'm like that's not not a good answer that's not gonna (laughs) no that's not gonna
0: serve you for a long time no like you're gonna be not sustaining
1: yeah (laughs) Like good luck making an impact you know <laughs> right. um, you'll have a good sh- first show and then that'll be yeah so that's why it's hard for me to say like i'm a cover like i sure. I love my my drag daughter moscato mm-hmm. um she's a comedy queen as well and i call her the melissa to my joan right. like she's like the perfect little <laughs> right. sidekick Yeah. uh she's done quite a few shows with me now we just have great chemistry on stage and off stage that's fun um yeah we talk every day and it's like it's weird, but there's a 10-year difference between us. Like She's 21, I'm 31, and... Uh, You've got to have people like that in your life, though, you know? Yeah. It's nice, nice to have that fresh perspective. Yeah, so it's yeah. like I've been mentored before, and now I get to mentor, so it's it's a nice little flip. So, I guess locally I would say Moscato. I know people will be like, oh, it's just because she's your daughter. <laughs> it's hard. There's a lot of um, new queens, but I don't know how many I would actually give the term queen to. Right. I would say it's a lot of... Drag. Right. and drag. Right. Because right. <laughs> um, I, I, I think now, especially with Drag Race and all the people that are starting it, uh, I think now you really have to earn the title of a queen. Right. Because you have to... Maybe more than ever. Yeah, because th- there's so many elements to being a drag queen that people don't realize. And you need to know or have some knowledge or be able to do at least... A few of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, oh, I'm going to go out there and lip sync this song. It's like, you need to be able to work a microphone. You need to be able to adapt to the crowd that's in front of you. Sure, crowd you know? work. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, like, that's why I started coming to Second City and started taking classes because I'm like, no, I want to, like, work this muscle. I've worked it enough on stage, just guessing. Now I want the formal training for it. So it's great. Um, I've done stand up, I've done the writing. Next term, I'm taking acting one now my road is to do conservatory here and be the first drag queen on the main stage. That's my goal. I want to be the first drag queen on the main stage. That's a great goal. So that's, that's where I hope you get it. Me too. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's true. Um, But that's, it's just like a vision board thing. It might not come true, but it's something to aspire to.
0: Five music artists that are quintessential to your performance catalog and or to the drag scene in general. Five artists that you think are are vital to the community that get used a lot or that are uh, surprising uh, the group and, and you can take on this list however you want. Top five. Sure. Uh,
1: Dua Lippa. One. Don't pick up the phone. You know, he's only calling because he's drunk and alone. Two. Don't let him in. You have to kick him out again. Three. Don't be his friend. You know, you're going to wake up in his bed in the morning. And if you're under him, you ain't getting over him. I got no Um, Tell me about Dua Lippa. I don't know. I thought it was a brand from Mac when I first heard the name. I had no idea. I was like, "Oh, what Mac campaign is this?" And they're like, "No, it's a singer." And I was like, "Oh, cool." Uh, <laughs> Why? Why duolip? What What is good about Dua Lipa? I don't know. Okay,
0: so I you're not using duolipa.
1: I, I mean i I know two of her songs, but I don't do them as often because okay. it's just that doesn't work with my style. Right. Her music doesn't work with my style. But very, talking, very popular. Very popular. Yeah. Okay. I would also say. A lot of the new queens, and even some of the not so new queens, they do uh, quite a bit of uh, Fifth Harmony. <laughs> Uh, Little Mix. In the crowd, can you feel my body now? Do you think about, us? Do you think about us? Little Mix is like a, a UK pop girl group. They've had a few hit songs and Dry queens. And Toronto, just seem to love their music. Little, little, little mix. Little mix, yeah. Okay. And then Fifth Harmony, Lippa. I, I still feel like Gaga and Whitney. Gaga and Whitney, big. Yeah, Whitney still. Yeah. Did those two documentaries help?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they kept her in the zeitgeist.
1: No, I just think Whitney, after passing, I think she'll always. Her music will always live on in drag bars. It just for sure is there. Oh yeah, like it's part of it if i if i put in like i want to dance with somebody or how will i know and like the music starts like the audience right away whoa! and it's like oh okay into this you do you do it's not right but it's okay on a friday night and the dun, dun 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 starts and they're just like whoa here we go and i'm like here we go gonna get a little napkin going pretend i'm sweating a lot <laughs> which i usually am anyway so it works um <laughs>
0: She's interesting in the fact that they've dragged out pretty much all her dirty laundry at this point. She oh, yeah. No, she has no choice in the matter. No. Um, and she seems to be surviving it, you know, uh, on the bedrock of her talent. Oh, yeah. Whereas it seems like after 2019 is over, I'm not sure we're going to be talking about Michael
1: Jackson in the same way. No. <laughs> No, uh, could be over for yeah. MJ. Could be coming to a <laughs> close. I mean, I personally think it was over <laughs> long ago. Right. That that could be true. That could be true. I mean, his death. Yeah. All of a sudden, like people were like, "Oh, he's got a pass on things." And it's like, no, I don't know about. Uh, I don't think he should have a pass. There, I think there are things that he did in his life that should be talked about. Wow. And,
0: yeah. These big documentaries that are coming out this year are gonna. Surely shut some doors. Oh yeah, I would imagine. All right, so Whitney and and Gaga. Yeah, and Big. Yeah, and okay,
1: last one. Oh, that was five, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Whitney, Gaga, <laughs> Little Mix, Dua Lipa, Fifth Harmony. Oh, uh, oh, Ariana Grande. I can't believe I forgot Ariana Grande. Who can forget oh. Ariana? See, I don't, I don't Those care boots? for her. No, no, it's not really my jam either. But uh, like, if the fact that like. Her image is that. She, of her this. fan base is the twelve-year-olds on Twitter. Like right. that's and the little gay boys. Like that's her fan base. Yeah. The fact that I heard a young gay one day say, Oh, Seven Rings is such a good song. It like is so original and all these things. And it was like, she literally rips the sound of music. Like, right. that's where the melody and the beat comes from. Like, what do you do your history homework? Right.
0: But he's like, I'm twelve. Yeah. I don't
1: know. God, they were twenty-one. I was like, all Oh my right. god. <laughs> I'm twenty-one. I don't know. It's like just Kind of crazy, but yeah, definitely Ariana Grande. She just dominates
0: gays as well. Well, this has been a treat And it has been so exciting for me to watch Your career uh, really happen Over the last ten years And I I love your commitment to performance I'm glad because I've forgotten most of it (laughs) (laughs) I love your commitment to performance And I love everything you've done And I love that you've shared online Some of the the trials and tribulations you've gone through It gives me certainly a new respect For what it is you do And putting yourself out there like that So Matt, thank you No problem,
1: thank you for sitting down with me and chatting (laughs) So that's it.
0: I really loved reconnecting with Matt Heroin, and I find the best way to keep up with all things Heroin the Drag Performer is on the socials, Instagram and Twitter, at the DQ. Have a look for updates there. We'd like to thank our sponsors today, Red Eye Media and Crows Theatre. And thanks to you, thanks for checking out this remix edition of the show. You can get in touch, endoftheworld.com, classicalfm.ca. You can be in touch on social media as well, Facebook and Twitter. There are Art at the End of the World pages that you can uh, like and subscribe to. My Instagram handle, by the way, is at wigdad. We're back on Monday with my special guest, legendary music programmer and publicist and all-around great guy to talk to, A Million Stories, Richard Flohill, will be here. We'll speak to you then, and for as long as we can. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.